Because We're Nerds, the podcast that covers trends and new releases in comics, movies, video games, board games, and much more. I'm your host, Caleb, and today we're talking Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Does the movie live up to the first one? How does it affect the future of the franchise? And what big revelations does it unveil? Find out on this week's episode of Because We're Nerds. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. Today, I have with me Courtney. Hey, Courtney. Hello. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Uh, well, you know, we saw a movie. I could be better, honestly. But uh, before we actually get into the movie, this is the first episode that we are recording since the tragic news of Stanley's passing. Uh, I know that a lot of you have probably had a, a tough week. Uh, Courtney and I have had tough moments throughout the week, uh, and so our, our our thoughts and prayers just want to go out to his family and everyone. Uh, just so you know, next week we actually are going to be doing a special Stanley tribute episode. He's going to focus on his life and uh, his influence on the comics industry and pop culture in general. Uh, but until then, Stan, rest in peace. You deserve it. All right. On a happier note, Courtney, I think, we saw a movie. Yeah, we did. So we saw this movie together in a IMAX-like screening. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, obviously, is what we're talking about, if you didn't listen to the intro. Uh, so I think it's important to talk about our fandom levels before we get too far in. So for me, I am probably a casual fan. Maybe a little bit higher than a casual fan. I've seen all the movies. I've read the first two books. Uh, and I think when I was younger, I played like one of the video games. What about you? Well, I've seen all the movies now. I actually started off with the movies first. And then this past summer, I started reading the books for the first time. And so I'm currently on book four. Um, so that's about my exposure. Okay, um, so this movie is not great. <laughs> uh, I mean, what what were your general thoughts? Oh, before we get too far in, uh, as always, we're going to do a spoilers and non-spoilers section. Non-spoilers first. We will clearly let you know when we're going into spoilers territory, uh, and those are also going to be marked by time codes down in the description. So what did you think of the movie, Courtney? Well... I was disappointed. Yeah. Um, earlier this week, I watched the first Fantastic Beast movie um, to kind of prepare myself and get myself back into the wizarding world following Newt. And when we... I was super excited for the movie, Crimes of Grindelwald. And then, like, we sat down and we started watching it. And it's it's literally a stepping stone for the next three movies that are coming. It's not... It's not fantastic. It's not amazing. It's just like a, here's a movie. We've got to throw in all these plots so that you're prepared for the coming movies, for the coming war. Yeah, I was actually very surprised how poor this movie is uh, on on multiple counts. I mean, I, I think that the the story of the movie, the actual plot of the movie, is almost non-existent. Uh, it's it's mostly like a hey we've got to got to find this guy type movie, 
and most of the stuff that happens in the middle doesn't really have much to do with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's like I said before, it's pretty much a stepping stone. It's like, oh, we have to get in this information, hop. We got to get in this information, hop to the Mm -hmm. next thing. It's just like a jumping thing. Um, We go through so many plot points in the movie that it's like there's not a true storyline. And it shouldn't be called Fantastic Beasts because this time there are very few. They're in there. But the movie doesn't focus on Newt and his Fantastic Beast. It's about Grindelwald and his rise. Is it? Is it about Grindelwald? Because he is like barely in this movie. I don't really know what it is about. It hops so much. So, so I think that this movie has a lot of the same issues that uh, The Last Jedi had. Because in The Last Jedi, we had this really strange and awkward 15 or 20 minute scene in the middle that involved Finn and his lady going off and doing this thing on this casino planet that didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie because they couldn't figure out how to incorporate Finn into the actual plot of the movie. And I feel like Crimes of Grindelwald has the exact same issue. They've got all the characters from the first film are back, but they don't know what to do with them. And so what happens is they each kind of have their own mini stories, I guess, but they're not satisfying at all. They, like you Mm -hmm. said, they kind of just feel like filler. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think nobody in this movie actually gets enough screen time to do anything because they've taken it and split it apart so much. I would agree with that. Um, There are moments where like, Out of our four main characters from the first movie, Tina, Queenie, Jacob, and Newt. I mean, there are moments where, like, you never see Jacob. And he was such a great and funny moment, or funny moments of the Fantastic Beasts, the first one. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we don't get any of that in the second one. And, like, Queenie, she's, like, here at one point, and then she's gone, and it's all over the place. And it's just a very weird, like, thrown-together movie it's weird that this is the final product that they're giving people yeah and i think that there's characters in the first one that i liked a lot like eddie and like uh well not eddie uh newt Newt. like like (laughs) newt uh and like jacob and in this movie there were times where they were grading i i thought Uh, i don't know if it's because of the lack of of screen time for them and getting adjusted to them but there were times where they were trying to be funnier they were trying to just be their character and I didn't think it worked at all. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was all that interesting. Um, and on top of that, I think that they try for a lot of the stuff in the middle to just redo what happened in the first movie. For example, uh, one of the big highlight moments of the first movie is when they're on the, the frozen lake and he's trying to get that rhinoceros thing back into the case, right? Mm-hmm. They do something very similar in this movie. Uh, to a much lesser success rate, I guess. Um, I don't. We'll talk about it a little bit more in spoilers. Uh, that and you know, there's a lot of stuff with is, is it the Niffler? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was really big in the first one. This one, they kind of bring him back, but they do a couple of the same things. There's a slow mo shot of him that's really not funny anymore, uh, and it it just feels like. <laughs> they did 
the wrong things that you're supposed to do to try to up the ante. I would agree with that at some point. Um, I think some of the pieces they used from the first movie to try to bring humor into the second one, it didn't bother me. I enjoyed it. Um, as far as, like, characters go, I was really sad because, like, Newt is probably one of my favorite characters. I love how Eddie um, plays him. I love, like, his character is, like, it's hard not to love him. Mm. And I feel like in this movie, he doesn't get the time that he needs for you to fall in love with him. Yep. As he should be, because it should be more about him and his beast and less about everything else. Well, I don't necessarily think it has to be more about him, per se, but the first movie was very tight. I mean, I don't think I've seen it since it came out. You just watched it, but Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it starts with Newt, and it pretty much just follows him throughout the entire movie. Yeah, because it's about him. Right, and so it's a very tight script. Uh, This one, like we said, doesn't, because it jumps around so much. You don't get that with any of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, new or old. And also, there's things in this movie that they kind of... I don't necessarily want to say retcon from the first movie, uh, but they they kind of change it up. And I would have thought that there would be good explanations for those things. And they kind of just sweep it under the rug without explaining it at all. Yeah, I can see that. Why yeah. you feel that way. Okay, so um, let's break it down a little bit before we go into spoilers. Uh, in terms of acting, I said that the characters were grading, but I think that everybody was actually pretty good in their roles. Yeah, I would say so. There wasn't anyone that I didn't think didn't fit their character as far as like who they were portraying and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Uh, the action overall, I felt, was pretty lackluster. They didn't really do anything new. Uh, it's it's weird, too, because like when the first one came out, everybody thought, oh, they're just trying to do a cash grab, another Harry Potter movie, whatever. The trailers came out, it actually looked really good. Mm-hmm. And when we saw it, it felt very different right. from Harry Potter. Right. And this movie does not. This movie feels, I think, pretty much exactly like the last three or four Harry Potter movies. I just feel like this one feels very mediocre compared to what it could be. It, the first Fantastic Beasts movie set an amazing foundation. Mm. And from there, it could have really built because we're supposed to get, I believe, a total of five films. That's a lot. It is a lot because I've been reading a lot today and I noticed a lot of people were bringing up we still have three more. And it's going to follow this whole trend, which we'll get more into in spoilers because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. But um, I was disappointed overall. Yeah. And I I think that's a pretty general consensus. Most people don't seem to like this movie. I just don't see how this is what they put out. This is what they decided was good and they should put out. And one of the most frustrating things to me is it's nothing... In particular, in the film, is bad. Like, right. all the acting is good. I said the action is mediocre, mostly because there's just not much of it. Um, all of the set design and everything, I think, looks really good. Uh, but I think probably the biggest error in this movie is the editing. I think there's major parts of the film that could have been completely cut out that don't belong there. Uh, and that would have made it a lot better. But they didn't do it. And 
sometimes it just leaves your head scratching thinking what what's going on i'm confused and also where are we because this movie jumps across the globe a lot and there were several times i was confused exactly where we were because i thought we were one place but then based on what people are saying and who shows up it seems like we're in a different place well i will say the movie takes place in three major areas yeah New York, London, and Paris. Mm-hmm. There were times when I thought we were in Paris or London, and it was vice versa. Okay. Yeah. I didn't get that feeling, but... It mostly uh, has to do with the ministries, when we're when we're dealing with the okay. ministries. They look similar, but they have some distinct differences, I feel like. Okay. I don't, I don't feel like those were well... Um, they weren't told to us explicitly enough. To, to let us know. Okay. Um, overall, would I recommend seeing this movie? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's tough because I think the beginning is really good, like the opening scene, mm-hmm. and I think the ending is really good. But everything in the middle is just very middling. It's very, uh, it's very not, not enjoyable. It doesn't have good conclusions. There's... Oh, and I guess I should bring this up now. Uh, there's too many characters, which is a weird thing to say in Harry Potter, because Harry Potter has always had a <laughs> lot of characters. But this movie has all of the characters from the first movie, plus a whole bunch of new characters, and none of them have anything to do. In the Harry Potter series, even though we had a bunch of characters, they found uh, specific ones to focus on, mm-hmm. and the rest became background characters. Uh, and... When there was someone important, they had something to do. Mm-hmm. In this one, there are several people that they focus on um, that don't have anything to do. In fact, in my mind, there's two or three like average Joe-looking guys that they keep using. Uh, and it's hard to keep track of which one is which because they all kind of look similar. They all dress very similar because of the time period. Uh, it's, and so it, it makes it really, really tough to figure out which one is which and, and what exactly is going on. Uh, but overall, I don't, I don't think this is a good movie. I think this is a a terrible stepping stone. I think that it is, uh, poorly written. I think it's, it's poorly edited. Um, I, I think that they should have done something different. I think it's okay to have a movie that's successful and in the sequel only bring back some characters. I don't think you have to bring back all of the characters. And I hope that they take that to heart going forward. Um, because I think that there's more characters that show up in this film that don't have to be major characters in the next one. Okay. So for me, I feel like if you are a fan, you should take the time to see it. Um, but when we do get into spoilers, if you are a fan, be prepared. You're going to have some disappointments and some crazy mind boggling things. But for me, it was just a movie. There wasn't anything fantastic or magical about it. Yep. And so, and normally when you have a Harry Potter film or a, or something of that franchise, the Wizarding World, Mm. if you have something with that, normally it's, it's got those elements of magicalness to it and fantasticness. And this is just lacking in that. Yeah, I agree. All right, 
Uh, well, that's going to conclude our non-spoiler section. We're keeping it a bit brief this episode. But before we get into the spoiler section, uh, Courtney, it's time to talk about Super Serial. So I was thinking, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to do Newt or someone else. And I think because this is the first Harry Potter film that we're actually reviewing on the podcast, I think we should do Harry Potter. So what would Harry Potter eat for breakfast? I don't agree. Uh, You don't have to. I don't want to do Harry Potter. Too late. (laughs) He's not in the movies. Why are we doing him? Because they're going to do another movie of this and then I'll have to do Newt. And so just do Harry Potter now. I just think it would make more sense to do someone from the Fantastic Beast movies. That's okay. All right. Harry Potter. What would Harry Potter eat for breakfast? Well, I think if he were at Hogwarts, he would just have a good old breakfast. Like some eggs and bacon and like gravy and biscuits or something. Now, if he's at the Dursleys, he would be forced to make everyone their breakfast and would get the scraps that were left over. So I guess Mm. it just depends on. Where you want to have him end up. Okay. I Yeah, that's a good point. Depends on if it's like pre him moving out of the Dursleys. Or, or summertime because he's there with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that in general, uh, for general breakfast, he would probably end up with like a burnt piece of toast. Like something that would be like okay, but then they kind of just ruin it. Uh, or like a burnt bagel or something. But if we're talking specifically cereal... I think that if he had his choice, mm-hmm. he would eat Lucky Charms for two reasons. <laughs> One, they're magically delicious. They're magically delicious. <laughs> but two, they're also very like Harry Potter because um, most of his life is pretty dull and, mm-hmm. and boring. Like, like the cereal. Like the cereal. But then he's got the little magical Marsh. pieces like the marshmallows. All right. I'll give you that. That's a good one. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, world. Even if I didn't agree that we picked him, I will give you that. You did a good job picking his cereal. Thank you. All right. Well, that's been super cereal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, guys. So now we are going to go into spoiler territory. So if you are going to go see this movie and you don't want to know what happens, stop now. Please shut off your podcast now. I am not going to give you another warning. All right. So earlier I was mentioning how they were just copying things from the first movie. And the thing I was talking about with the rhinoceros thing being copied in this movie is when they're in uh, Paris, I guess. Yes. Uh, and he, they're in like their Diagon Alley area. Right, they're in a circus-type yeah. setting. and that dragon thingy gets out. I don't know what it is. I wish I had gotten the name written down. It's, um, it's a Chinese mythical beast okay um and it looks to be like a tiger mixed with like a dragon's tail or something it's very flappy and it's got a lot of hair yes it's very cool looking like tiger lion type thing was that in the first one no no okay i guess i just saw the trailer he is a new beast um it's like shin lu or something unique very chinese um sounding um but he comes from there okay so he gets out And they basically do the same thing about having to get him back into the chest. And it was funny in the first one because he did this whole dance and it was his whole set piece. And in this one, he just like waves a little But in the first one, it was a mating dance. I know. 
because the I know animal... that. I'm not. Okay. I'm not saying it's literally the same thing. I know. I'm saying that it they, is very similar. They're, yes, they're copying the same setup. They're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to have the same scene, and it just doesn't work. It's it's not funny at all. But it's a little cat toy. I think it's funny. <laughs> Which has like a Zaboomafu on it. I know. I thought it was really cute. I thought it was funny because he just jingles it. No. And the cat's like, ooh. No, I I thought that that was too much of a callback to the first one, that they were doing too much of the same thing. Okay. Hey, I could have my opinion. I know, you can. I, I think that they did that there. I think they did it with the Nifflers. They tried to do take it to the next level with the Nifflers by having the babies. Baby Nifflers, which, they're so adorable. Oh, I disagree. I think they're way uglier than the adult one. No, they're so cute and they have different colors and patterns on them. No. They're adorable. No, d- didn't like them. Um, while, while we're in this spot, I did want to mention real quick. This movie made me think of something I've never thought about before. Which I'm like, oh, I really want that, actually. Um, I I guess I could be considered a Japanophile, maybe. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite that deep into it, but this movie makes references to the magical creatures from Japan. In fact, we actually see one at one point, and I was like, oh, what if we got a Harry Potter movie in Japan? That would be <laughs> so cool. All the magical creatures, like their mythology could actually be real. Um, and... and like like the uni and and um, I'm blanking on the names. They're they're ogre type creatures and they're dragons and stuff. And I was like, ooh, that could be really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they drop a mention to Japan like three or four times throughout the movie. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these movies does go to Japan because apparently, like each movie is supposed to be set in a different location. In a different location. So I kind of wonder if they're like priming people uh, for Japan, but. Anyway, that was just a random thought. I thought that was really cool. Well, I will say, like, with each movie supposed to be set in a different location, the ultimate goal is the major wizarding wizarding war. war. Um, and it's supposed to be, like, parallel or in line with World War Two. Yep. So, like, you're supposed to look at Grindelwald as, like, Hitler mm-hmm. and following that. So, Japan was obviously involved with World War Two. Um, there's a really good chance we could end up there. Yeah, I, I thought about that a lot. And in fact, we get some glimpses of World War II in the film. We do at the ve- towards the end, yeah. Yeah, in like the last scene or two, uh, which personally I thought was the best scene of the whole movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you not agree? No, I just thought it was funny. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the end was really good. Um. Also, I. I for the most part, I thought the opening was really, really good. I, I thought that the way that Grindelwald escapes, we haven't really seen a prison outside of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting to see uh, the American version of like an Azkaban. Right. Um, but also the way he escapes and how that whole scene is structured where it's flying through the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was fantastic. I thought that that was really good. With the small caveat that some of the camera work in this film is not great, uh, specifically being zoomed in too closely to things. And I felt that a lot in this opening scene. It's so close to the action that it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. Okay. No, I do agree. The um, opening is very cool. Um, his escape is good. Um, I didn't completely see it coming the way it 
happen. Mm-hmm. So. How do you feel about Credence? Well, his haircut's better this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's <clears throat> back. And this is one of the things they glossed over. They just say he survived. How did he survive? He, like, blew up. Well, in a lot of what I've, like, read and some videos I've watched, um, it was stated that there's a deleted scene where he escapes by boat um, to Europe. And so, obviously, they didn't put that in the first one. So, it's supposed to be, I guess, a surprise that he survived. Um but really, I don't know how he did in the in the moment, in the fighting of everything from the first one. But a lot of the movie is tied to him. Um, he's trying to find out who his mother is, his biological mother, um, and who he is. And so most of the movie, it's people trying to find him either to take him to Grindelwald or to stop him from getting to Grindelwald. And then he's just searching for his family. Which he never actually finds. Well, not necessarily. I mean, but yes, maybe. He, didn't, he doesn't find them. He's told at the end if that's actually true. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if what Grindelwald was telling him was the truth or if it was just a manipulation tactic to try to get him to do what he wants. So at the end of the movie, um, the big major spoiler is that Credence is Aurelius Dumbledore, um, that he is a secret brother of Dumbledore. And so Dumbledore has always had two siblings we've always known about. Um, He's had Ariana, his sister, and Aberforth, his brother. And Ariana, his sister, she died um, in a battle between... Um, and it's kind of a little unclear on, like, who did what, but it was a battle between Aberforth and Grindelwald and Dumbledore. They were, um, there was a disagreement, and somehow she got in the middle, and one of them killed her. Um, Dumbledore has always believed, or Albus has always believed, that Grindelwald was the one whose blow struck her and killed her. Um, so, like, it was kind of a big deal. To have this, like, random secret brother magically appear. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of theories that he's not actually Dumbledore's brother. Um, or Al- I keep calling him Dumbledore. Albus. <laughs> um, because, like, maybe Grindelwald told him that he's related to Albus that he's a secret brother because they're they have a blood pack and that they cannot fight each other. That Grindelwald and Albus Dumbledore cannot fight each other, so he needs a strong wizard to attack Albus to take him down so that he can rise to the power that he's supposed to. Um that's one theory. Another theory was that maybe he is somehow related by like a cousin or um when Ariana was a little girl. Um, she was bullied by muggles, and it is believed that maybe she um, became an obscurist, which is what Credence is, mm. um, what he has inside of him. And so when Ariana died, um, a theory is, is that maybe her obscurist attached to Credence when he was a baby. And um, 
That's why the phoenix appears to Credence is because Ariana is a part of him through the Obscurus Parasite. Mm. Um, But as far as like a traditional brother, it's kind of a far stretch because um, for him to be, for Albus's father to be Credence's dad, um, Credence would need to be 36 years old because Albus's father goes to um, Azkaban for attacking the muggles who hurt his little girl. And um, so it would be impossible for him to have a son <laughs> while he's in Azkaban unless they allow conjugal visits <laughs> like in the U.S. But I doubt that. And then if his mother were to have like if if Credence were to be like a half brother, um, he would need to be 28 as far as the timeline goes from when she passed away and stuff like that. So I feel like. The theories of either um, the Obscurus Parasite attaching to him or um, Grindelwald just giving him a bold-faced lie to kind of um, convince him to fight. I think those two are the most potential. Mm. But it would be very insane for this just, like, random brother to come out of anywhere. Because um, Ezra Miller, who plays Credence, has said that um, his character in the first movie is 18 years old. So, we're talking, like, a 10-year, which, I mean, like, maybe he could be 28, but... Well, here's the thing with that, and we were talking earlier uh, about some of the stuff that they sort of retconned in this movie, kind of having Mm -hmm. to do with this, uh, because of stuff that they've put up on, is it Pottermore, is the website? Yeah, but that is, that is the, um, like, that holds, like, the information and everything, like approved by jk rowling right but here's the thing unless it's in the movies it's not canon to the movies that's that's kind of how all this stuff has always worked that's how it's worked with star wars that's how it's worked with marvel that's that's kind of like the general rule with these kinds of things if it's not in the movies the general populace does not know about it so you can violate that so i i have a hard time getting upset uh when they make changes like this based on other stuff that we're supposed to know because we don't actually know that that's the case. Those are just things that the author has said behind the scenes. But if authors always stuck to what they said behind the scenes, we'd get a lot of really boring stuff. I guess I could agree with that. But in, in like past things, J.K. Rowling is very particular and sticks to her timelines and everything. And considering she's the one writing screenplays, she's the one writing the books, things that are attached to the movies, I would be surprised that she would approve some, like, insane thing. That's why I do think that there are plot twists to attach to some of these things. But, like, I know some fans are really upset about this random secret brother. Um, Another thing is you get a really great cameo of Professor McGonagall. But she wasn't even born yet when this movie is supposed to be set. She isn't born until 1935. And the flashback scene of um, Lita Lestrange um, zip, or taking the lips of the girl in um, the movie, that was set in 1910. And then, um, but the movie's set in 1927. So, like, we're talking, like, a good chunk 
difference in age. Um, and in like the books and in part of more, um, it's stated that she started teaching in 1956 at the age of 21. Hmm. And that is in um, the Order of the Phoenix in Chapter 15. Um, so some people speculate maybe it's McGonagall's mother. However, she has a completely different name and um, young Dumbledore, because we get to see a young Albus Dumbledore. He calls her Minerva McGonagall. So does he call her Minerva? Yeah, I he thought does. He, I thought he only called her McGonagall. No, he says her, he says her full name. Okay. At one point, so it can't be mom, but maybe a grandmother, which has been. Um, another theory I've seen because fans are having a really hard time <laughs> accepting that she would make this major mistake um, because if it were the McGonagall we know, she would be a professor at the age of negative eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I get that because that was actually stated in the book. So I, mm-hmm. I, I understand the frustration. But at the same time... If that's the extent of our timeline issues at this point, I mean, we're doing pretty good because we've had... Yeah, but she's a major She's a major character. But we've, I could see why fans would be disappointed. No, no, I get it. But what I'm saying is, when you get a franchise this large, it has seven books, it has an entire website full of stuff that has eight movies, plus these two new movies, there are bound to be continuity errors. They're just... You can't keep everything straight with that much material. And if that is the only thing that is messed up, we're doing good. At least they're not saying like, like with, um, well, this is a bad example, I guess. <laughs> but with the Dragon Ball movies, for example, they're supposed to be set in the context of the series. It's impossible for them to be set in the context of the series because they contradict each other. Right. So at least it's not something like that. I could see that. I mean, I did enjoy seeing Professor McGonagall in the movie. I did not expect to see her. I knew that we were going to see a younger Albus Dumbledore. Um, And so it was exciting to see her. I just thought it was kind of crazy of how, like, the timeline fell. Um, But, I mean, yes, I agree. If that's the only error they have, that's fine. However, I think that the fans that she has... there's going to be a, there needs to be an explanation in the next one or they're going to be really irritated. <laughs> well, unfortunately, fans of most franchises are super irritated over the smallest of things. I would agree with when that. When it's just entertainment. I mean, when when it really is boiled down, this is what we do to waste time because <laughs> we're super well off and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's another argument. But I do want to talk about Dumbledore for a little bit. Me and you were talking about it after the movie, um, and I feel like Dumbledore, in, in in the Harry Potter movies, he's always come across as very wise, uh, guiding you towards your goal or what you need to know, and in this movie, I felt like he was portrayed much more similarly to Grindelwald, actually, because Grindelwald is very charismatic and is very manipulative, and I don't feel like... Dumbledore was necessarily charismatic in this movie, but he did feel very manipulative in a negative way. I didn't take it negatively. I do think that even in the Harry Potter series, he has always had that element of 
being able to manipulate to get what he wants or to get people to the point where he wants them to be. Mm-hmm. And I think since we see him as a younger a younger version of himself, I think that you're just seeing like when you're younger, you do things differently and it might calm down when you get older kind of thing so i'm just kind of seeing it as that i don't think that it was in a negative way i think he knew that certain things needed to happen because of like he knows the threat that's taking place he's literally telling newt to break the equivalent of federal law well you know sometimes you have to break the law to get things done in the wizarding world i'm just saying it, it didn't feel very fatherly or in his best interest it felt like it was purely for Dumbledore's interest, um, and maybe it's the way that Jude Law played it, but I, I just kind of had an issue with that. And then my like one of my other question is, there's a, a point in the movie where the Ministry comes into Hogwarts mm-hmm. and asks him to fight Grindelwald, and he says he can't. Yes. Why doesn't he just tell them that they made a blood pact? Is that illegal or something? I don't know. It seems to be very secretive. Um it could be tied to the fact that um, his relationship with Grindelwald might not be as widely known at that point in in that time. I, like, maybe they don't understand that it was more than a friendship type thing. I thought about that, but in that same scene, he says they were closer than brothers. Well, I don't know. I think that maybe the blood pact is something that needs to be kept secret. Or... It could definitely be something where he regrets that he ever made it because now he sees what's happening and he can't stop it because it's there. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've that I was reading, um, the reason that this blood pact kind of came about is potentially after Ariana's death. They came to the conclusion that they are too strong of wizards to just be fighting because people can get hurt. Mm. And so they decided to make that pact to kind of prevent that from happening. I could see that. Again, so, I mean, it could go either way. I do think the blood pact is going to get destroyed because obviously they are going to fight when it comes time. Um and we do have a big time gap that we're going to have to make up because the movie's set in 1927 and their fight doesn't take place until 1945, which they have three movies to get there. I was trying to do in my head, if there's a yeah. two-year gap between each movie, are we supposed to get five more movies or five movies total? I think it's five movies total. So, so we got three more. Three more. Okay, so this is set in 27. The mm-hmm. next one would be 29, and then 31, and then 33. So yeah, they would have to definitely be... There's going to be some big jumps. Yeah, which, as I was saying earlier, would probably be good, because that means we don't have to force characters in that shouldn't be there. Like Jacob just, oh yeah, it didn't work on me. No explanation. They don't care. Well, we got we got a hint to that. At the ending of Fantastic Beasts. Because when you go into his bakery, he has the fantastic creatures like turned into like little croissants. I know. So. But the, it's the way they did it. And if it was just that one thing, it probably wouldn't be that bad. But it feels like they were like, oh, we don't know how to explain this. So we're just not going to. And we're just going to kind of sweep it under the rug and keep going really fast. Um and that's, I think, what bothers me, because they do that with that, and they do that with um, 
something else that I completely forgot <laughs> what I was thinking of. But it, it's not great screenwriting practice, really. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, it's kind of one of no, those sticking points it. for me. Yeah, because, like, Jacob shows up, and I was super excited to have him show up because he is a funny character. It is funny to watch the Nomad, or I prefer to call him a muggle, but it's it's funny to watch him interacting with these wizards. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when his character shows up, he's with Queenie, and she has put this love charm on him yep. because she wants him, she wants them to get married. Um, but that's against the wizarding law, at least in America. I'm not sure about Europe, um, because it. I know we have characters who well, she said, marry. She said in the movie that they're progressive there and they would let them get married. Gotcha. So I figured I just wasn't sure about that time. Yeah. I know in the future they do allow. Right. So I just wasn't sure if in that time period in Europe it was okay. Um, but what for me, Queenie was one of... Another favorite character of mine from the first movie. And it was very heartbreaking to see her kind of turn to the dark side and follow Grendelwald in his movement um, for the greater good is what it's known as. Yeah, I have issues with that. Um, Probably my biggest issue is that the whole putting Jacob under a spell thing, mm-hmm. to me, seemed out of character for her. I agree. It was it, forced. It was very forced. And that is the entire thing that her changing sides hinges right. on. Yeah. And so because that doesn't feel in her character, I feel that her entire shift was not earned. No. Yeah, it's it's like it, it just came out of nowhere. Yep. Her character was very sweet and docile and, like, had this innocence about it um, in the first movie. And then it was like, all of a sudden, we're bewitching people and we're bringing them to Europe to get yep. married. And then, like, we're heartbroken and upset. So, bam, we're going to go. We're going to follow the evil man and mm-hmm. his ways. And it's just kind of, it was a very weird way of getting there. Um in a very disappointing way, because I I did not want to see her character turn into that. Yeah. Well, talking about returning characters, Tina uh, mm-hmm. in this movie, is she works for the ministry now? Is that it? So she worked for the ministry in America. She was an, an Aurora. Aura, I think. An it's, aura. Thank well, you. Remind me what an aura is, because they talk about that a lot in this movie, but they never say what it is. And the only thing I can think of is there someone that works for the ministry that maybe hunts people. I kind of took it as because I I don't have the exact definition. I took them as kind of like detectives, and okay. it's like their job to do whatever they whatever's needed, whether that's like figuring out a crime or finding someone. So like she used to work in or she worked in America, and then she she was demoted. Um, in the first Fantastic Beast, we see her having to deal with, um, she's now in charge of wand permits in America. Okay. And then after the capture of Grindelwald, she's put back into her original status. And then I feel like she comes to America because she's trying to find, or it's not, not America, Europe. She's trying to find Credence because she's found out that he's still alive. She knows that he's a major player in what's taking place. And so I think she was sent there to find him. 
And um, I guess if you work for the ministry in one area, maybe you're allowed to kind of like hop through and use other units of the ministry, but not exactly. It's a little weird. Um, I don't think she was technically supposed to be in the French Ministry of Magic. um, Because when Queenie goes there, they're like, she's not here. So either she willingly on her own left America to find Credence or... She was sent by the president. Okay. So the French Ministry of Magic, Mm -hmm. is that the one that's got the round, it's two floors, it's got the round hole in the top floor and you can kind of see down into it? Or is that the- Yes. Okay. Why was Newt's brother there? Because I thought that he was at the London Ministry- Like I said, I think they kind of work together. If you work for one ministry, you can kind of come in and do what you need to do. So Theseus, Newt's brother, um, he does work for the London chapter. But because they know Grindelwald is in Paris, they have gone to the French Ministry of Magic or the France Ministry of Uh Magic. Um, And I think they're using their resources to try to find where Grindelwald is within. Okay. See, that, that's the part that was super confusing because mm-hmm. they established that they work at one place, but then they keep going to other places, mm-hmm. but then characters are just there and it makes it look like that's where they're working, but they never tell you. Right. That I, I didn't like any of that at all. Also, the whole thing with Tina and her misunderstanding the, the <laughs> marriage thing. Of the engagement. I thought that was stupid. I would agree. However, I, I can... As a female, I can so see Tina, like, mistaking that, especially the way her character is portrayed. I could see her seeing that picture and just being irritated because I'm sure Queenie could have shared that, like, Newt had a picture of Lita Lestrange in his um, suitcase. And so then you see this book or newspaper, whatever, of Lita Lestrange with Newt and Theseus in the picture, but it's Theseus and Lita who are engaged and not Newt and yeah. Lita. I, so, I, get, I see that. I get that, but I mean from a screenwriting standpoint. Like, that seems like a really odd decision to make. It's, it's one of many odd decisions they made to split up the characters. Fair enough. When it would have been much more satisfying mm-hmm. to just have them together. Right. Like, it seemed like the only reason they did that was to split them apart so that Newt could go find her. <laughs> and tell her she had the eyes of a salamander. Right. <laughs> but then I have issues with that whole side of things, because why did that other guy need to be in this movie? The guy that she... Theseus? No, no. no. The, the, the guy that um, tr- got that trapped all of them underground. Oh. Why did he need to be in this movie? I know why he's in the movie now. Okay. So, he is, his name is Kama, it's K-A-M-A. Okay, ca- probably Kama. Kama. I didn't get his first name, or that my, it's his last, that's his last name. So, he is Lita's half-brother. His, so Lita's dad. Yes, Corvius yes. Lestrange, I think the fourth. Um, He takes, uh comma's mother and he like seduces her or whatever and so that's how lita is born well comma is trying to find credence like the reason he's all in it is because he thinks that the prophecy is him and credence are supposed to fight because for the first half of the movie you think that credence is a lestrange and not a dumbledore right 
And so the reason he's in there is because he's trying to kill Credence to fulfill or to fulfill the prophecy of the two brothers dueling and fighting okay. against each other. I don't feel like I answered your question. Well, <laughs> well, I think that you're trying to explain to me his role in the movie. But what I'm asking is from a screenwriting standpoint, again, why was there a decision made to include this other character that okay. does pretty much nothing. nothing that complicates the film to the point of utter confusion? Because there are multiple times in this movie that I was very confused what was being said, what was going on, how it all relates to each other, because they drop about a million different names in this movie. And I think the reason he is in it is because he fulfills a character and he fulfills a tree line that you need, a family tree that you need to see to understand, like not really to understand something. I think that he's one of those like, stepping stones but but why do we need that because because if you take him out the only thing that you lose is you lose him hunting after credence which the other people are already doing right you lose him being the half brother of lita lita which doesn't figure into anything so and you you lose the time that they went to paris and found him and that they were trapped but they got out of the trap Almost immediately, which made that entire thing a waste of time, Mm -hmm. that you didn't need them to meet up with them. You could have completely eliminated him. And all you needed to do was put uh, Tina in contact with the rest of the people somehow. Mm -hmm. And boom, your movie is shorter. It's a tighter script. You're not wasting as much time. It's less confusing. There is no reason that he needed to be in this. No, I agree. Like I said, I do think he's just fulfilling this stepping stone thing. And I think because it specifically says in the prophecy that two brothers will duel. Will duel. duel. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and so you're, when, when the movie ends and Credence is told that he is a Dumbledore, you're like, oh, well, that's where the two brothers come from. That's where they're going to fight. And so I think that it's more of just like a plot point that, you know, he has to be a little strange because it fits perfectly that, you know, Lita's half-brother is here and that he's going to fight Credence and that that's where the dueling is going to take place. Um, But we find out that Lita has a very dark secret um, that she... Not purposefully, but was tired of her baby brother crying, and ultimately he died by her choice of swapping out the babies he drowned on their way to America. He drowned in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so um, he can't be uh, Lestrange because that baby right. passed away. So that's kind of how you find out that Credence isn't a Lestrange, and you go to the next person of who could he be. Yeah, I I think the whole plot point of figuring out who Credence is in theory is great. Mm -hmm. In execution was terrible. Because like I said, there were were times where it was like, wait, I thought he was this person. Now they're Mm -hmm. saying he's this person. What's going on? Who are these people? Why are their names? Um, Because he had three names. Like, I mean, he's had three names within this movie. He's had Credence. He's had Corvius. Corvius Lestrange. Yeah. Um, and then Aurelius Dumbledore. 
Like he's got three different names. At in least this movie. there, there At might least, be more. I think it's just three. But I, I felt like there was more, but there was a lot going right. on. Right. Um, and it's funny we talked about it earlier. This movie is called The Crimes of Grindelwald, and guess who we haven't really talked about? Grindelwald. That's true. <laughs> because he is like not in this movie at all. He's in that opening. He's in the ending. And there's a couple of scenes sprinkled throughout where mm-hmm. he just shows up. Uh, but he just... For a movie called Crimes of Grindelwald... You he, should see him committing the crimes. Yeah. He should be <laughs> the focus. In fact, the only crime you see him committing in this movie... Well, I say only crime. I guess there's a, a multiple inside of it. You see him escaping. Mm-hmm. When he escapes, he does kill a bunch of people. Right. So I guess that's multiple crimes. Uh, and then also, at the end, he does kill a whole bunch of people. In between, yes. though, well, I guess there's that one scene where he kills people. So, okay, I guess he does commit several crimes, but it's not at the level that I would have thought. Right. Also, his crew, completely forgettable. That's where a lot of those <laughs> faceless yeah. men showed up that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like that guy he turned at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one. There's that guy that ends up burning at the end. There's, I think, at least mm-hmm. one more person that's just like generic guy who we're supposed to notice who they are, but it it's hard I to think keep it track. Is a female. Yeah. Well, he I, has, I just okay. mean in general. Like, he, yeah, he's got a crew of uh, six or seven people. Mm-hmm. They they don't do anything. There's no reason for them to be there. Well, the woman's there to hold the skeleton thing that, <laughs> as right, that I've heard someone. Uh, call a hookah skull <laughs> because you like blow into it and these like things come out of it. <laughs> yeah, which th- I mean that was weird. I'm not sure how he was able to do that. Um, and then you've got uh, oh, what's her name? She ends up being the snake. Nagini. Nagini. So she's a maledictus. Yeah. So I get why she's there because that is Voldemort's snake. Yes. I get that as an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Again, from screenwriting. I guess she's there to give Credence company and give him someone to confide in. Yeah. But because they've got all this other junk going on, she doesn't do really much of anything in this movie. Not in this one. I think she'll do more in the coming. Yeah, but maybe. that's... I know, I know. But see, that's what the whole movie is. I know, and that's the, the problem. The whole movie is literally to prepare you for the next one. I know. They should They it's should not... have. If, if they eliminated all those scenes we talked about with the fake half... Well, he's not fake, but the half brother. Uh, mm-hmm. They could have given her and Credence more scenes to develop mm-hmm. a relationship, right? Because what it seems to me is that Credence started working at that circus, mm-hmm. and they knew each other from there. Mm-hmm. But we never really get to see their relationship grow past the right. point of her staying with him. Mm-hmm. So that that really needed to be explored more. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, this movie is just, uh, it's, it zooms by the scene zoom because everything is so fast, but it feels long. Like, it, it doesn't feel as long as it is. I, I will say that. But you can definitely tell it's a long movie. Yeah. You do feel the time at different points. Um, and, it is overall disappointing. It is just a stepping stone, like we've said. Um, as far as, like, the Easter eggs, yes, it is nice to see Professor McGonagall when she's young and getting on to students. 
And it's nice to see um, Nagini before she becomes just a complete snake Mm -hmm. and she's lost herself. Um, It's nice to see young Albus Dumbledore, even though we don't get much time with him. It's nice to see those moments because it's like, oh, I know those things from here and here and here. But overall, it just doesn't flow. And in most of our conversation, it hasn't been about Newt and his fantastic beast or, you know, like what they've brought to the movie because there were so many people that it was like, where do you go? Mm-hmm. I I realized throughout our conversation uh, something I hadn't really noticed. The first movie ended on a twist <clears throat> that whatever that guy's name was is Grindelwald, right? Mm-hmm. This movie... um Graves. Graves, uh, yeah, Graves. Graves ended up being Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. In this movie... I've realized it seems like they had to have a twist. They were like, we have to have a twist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we get so many issues going throughout. Because we have, I think, a couple different twists throughout the movie. Right. They're trying to fit in multiple twists and it's not. You don't need it. Right. You don't. (laughs) the, The Harry Potter movies, throughout the entire series, there's only, I can think of one twist, which is the Snape twist. Okay. Are there? Can you think of any other like major twist aside from a character dying? Um, not off the top of my head. Right, it's not a series that relies on twists. Right, and it seems like they're trying to make this series one that relies on twists, and it is hurting the film. Well, I think it's because, and well, maybe not because of this, but this could be a component of it. The Harry Potter books were, for the most part, written. Not all of them, but like the what the first couple of books were out when they decided to make the first movie, or several of the books were already out when um, the first movie came out. I think the first three, maybe four. Okay, so that I feel like there were it was established, and it was a book where J.K. Rowling is writing a screenplay. You can go buy the screenplay of Crimes of Grindelwald at your local bookstore, and you can read what the people are saying mm-hmm. in the movie. So it's, it, it, isn't a, it isn't as established as the Harry Potter world was. So I think some of it is just like ideas that she's coming up with and like pulling in. But then I think she's also pulling from like ideas or like established timelines and stuff. But she wrote those original books and she oh, didn't know. rely on that there. But they were books these aren't books they're they're screenplays so but but it's still writing is what i'm saying like like she wrote a full story without relying on these twists i know and now she's relying on these twists that's not really a a screenplay versus novel thing that's just a choice of uh storytelling okay yeah yeah (laughs) Mm. (sighs) all right I th- I think I think I'm done complaining about this unless you have anything else you want to add. Um the only other thing that I could maybe say is that we've talked about her a lot but Lita Lestrange is related to Bellatrix Lestrange mm-hmm. that we do see in the Harry Potter movies. Um but I'm getting some cl- conflicting information on how they're related. Um the actor who plays Lita Lestrange, Zoe Kravitz, 
said that she's the great-great-aunt of Bellatrix. But then I've read something that Lita is actually a distant cousin of Bellatrix's husband. Oh. So, either way, I mean, I guess if Bellatrix is married, then yes, it would make sense that um, Lita is related to her husband. Um, If Bellatrix isn't married, then it could be a great-great-aunt. Who knows? Yeah. So, um, and then we, yeah, I think that's everything. I've, like, all my notes are done. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in the movie, so it's yes. like, did I talk about everything I wanted to talk about? But right. I think we got across uh, the problems with the movies. Hopefully, the few good things that it does, we also got across. Um, mm-hmm. I would rank these all, except I don't remember the Harry Potter movies that well because I haven't seen them forever. Well, I think we really need to, like... For me, I'm keeping the Harry Potter movies separate. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Um, I don't really feel like they should be um, combined, at least not yet. I think that maybe when these, when the total of the five movies are done, that they will essentially be the prequel to the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, but I don't, without being completed, I don't really feel like they should be. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, obviously, if we're ranking just these two, the, the first one the first for sure. One, yeah, the first <laughs> is one is the best. <laughs> the first one is way better. Yes. Uh, hopefully, they learn from the mistakes in this film. Uh, I'm surprised that they made them, considering how many other high profile films have done the same thing and failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people don't like Iron Man 2 because it did the same things. Uh, most people don't like The Amazing Spider Man 2 because it, it did the same things. There's been. Multiple movies from Universal trying to set up their monster franchise that have done the same thing that have failed all because of the same issue. So I'm surprised they've done it. Hopefully they will learn from it because I know that they're getting a whole bunch of feedback right now. Oh, yeah. Against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hopefully the next one will be much better. And uh, yeah, they could drop the Fantastic Beast part. They don't need to keep that in. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be. It doesn't need to be called Fantastic Beast. I think that it would be better to have the name kind of changed, but I also like having the name there because I know you're going to get those Fantastic Beast characters. Well, you can still get them yeah, without I the know, name. But it's, I don't know. I like them. I think they're yeah. cute. Okay. Well, Corny, that was that and this is this. It's time for what you've been up to. So aside from watching a mediocre movie, what have you been up to? Sorry, what you been up to? Mm. Um, well, like I said before, a couple nights ago, I watched the first Fantastic Beast movie. Um, I've been preparing for this podcast. Um, together, we watched a Studio Ghibli movie, and I'll mm-hmm. let you talk about that. But really, as far as like nerdy type stuff, not much. It's been a super busy week at work. Um, when this movie comes out, we'll be on break. But it has been a very crazy week at work. Um, a lot of snowflake making. <laughs> oh. And um, uh, stuff to prepare for the Christmas season. So I'm just happy to be on break, I guess, would be the best thing to say. And hopefully the next few days I can enjoy some nerdy stuff without stress. All right. I, I wish I... What? What have you been up to? Oh. Uh, well, I wish that I would be on break. I, I will not be on break for a few more days 
Uh, and then I will get some break time. But uh, I have finally finished The Punisher. Last time, mm. I think I had one episode left. So I finally finished it. Uh, and it's good. It's it's really good. I, I said that the second to last episode was really brutal. Mm-hmm. The last one is really brutal. Uh, I was telling you yeah. earlier, there's a character in it that I didn't realize who he was. Because I'm not... I'm not as up on my Punisher stuff as uh, mm-hmm. I probably should be. Uh, and so at the very last episode, you realize who this character is. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. And uh, <laughs> that kind of blew my mind. But the entire Punisher series, really good. I would probably put it up there with the first season of Daredevil. Yeah. Just from the bits of um, this season I saw, I was very impressed with it. Um, I did see a few of the scenes from the last episode, and they were intense. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, but highly recommend that series uh, if you're into any of the Marvel Netflix stuff. In fact, even if you're not, uh, mm-hmm. it's almost entirely self-contained. There's mm-hmm. a couple of characters that show up that are from other series, mm-hmm. uh, but you can kind of figure out who they are without needing to see the other series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I did was we watched that Studio Ghibli film I was talking, mm-hmm. or you were talking about, uh, and this one is called The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Now, this is one of their newer films that came out in 2013, uh, mm-hmm. so it's not as well known as Totoro or Ponyo or any of those, but... It's Ponyo. Technically, it's Ponyo. Okay, you're probably right, but I've always heard it called Ponyo. Yeah, it's because... <laughs> Us Americans. Yeah. The O in Japanese is always O, so it's Ponyo. Anyway, um, <laughs> I kind of picked this movie out because it has a very different art style. Yes. It's it's drawn a lot more like a traditional Japanese like scroll, like art, like if you go back yeah. and look at their um, traditional stuff. And so I wasn't really sure uh if what it what, what it would be like i didn't know much about it i recognize the name kaguya um from some various things i i've seen through other japanese media mm-hmm. so we got it and we watched it and it is probably my favorite studio ghibli film i've seen thus far yeah it's very high up there for me as well just the art it's beautiful the story was just amazing and heartfelt and just yeah. So good. It's, so it's based on a traditional Japanese uh, folklore or folk, folk, folk tale <laughs> <laughs> called uh, the Bamboo Cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it pretty much, from what I gathered through that in the special features, follows it pretty much to a T with maybe mm-hmm. some extra kind of fill-in stuff they put in. Um, it is a very long movie. It's like, mm-hmm. I think it's two and a half hours. While you're watching it, you kind of feel the length Mm -hmm. but the movie is enjoyable enough that you kind of don't mind it some people some people might want to watch it in two sittings Mm -hmm. uh but the entire movie keeps that art style up uh it is beautiful the the dub is really good Mm -hmm. um they've they've got some people in there chloe grace moretz uh is Mm -hmm. in there um uh, I'm trying to think of who else. There's there's a few other recognizable people. The grandfather from the Goldbergs is in it. <laughs> yeah, the grandfather from the Goldbergs is in it. Uh, and overall, it is stunning. It's unlike any other animated anything I've ever seen before. So it's worth watching just for that alone. But it's it's really good. So highly recommend that. I would agree. 
And then the last thing I did was a uh, ward that was on our Does Canon Really Matter episode had been watching a documentary series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, mm-hmm. all about like the history of some of the most popular toy franchises. Uh, and he's been telling me to watch it, and I finally got around to watching it. And it is really, really good. Uh, I... I'm not super into like the toy side of collecting. I've got some, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not into it like a lot of other collectors are. But I appreciate that side of it. Mm-hmm. And so I I went in and there's two seasons of it. There are four episodes apiece. They're about 45 minutes long, maybe 50. Um, and they're, they're really good. So the ones I watched covered Star Wars, uh, Barbie, which you wouldn't necessarily think is interesting, but it was really interesting. Um, <laughs> And Masters of the Universe. Uh, the last one in the season, I think, is G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. And then the next season has a few more. Uh, really good. Courtney watched one of them with me. What did you think of it? I thought it was really interesting. Especially because I did not know much about Masters of the Universe at all. Yeah. Um, in fact, I did not know that He-Man was even a part of that. I just oh. thought he was like a whole separate thing. Like I, like when I heard like Masters of the Universe, like I thought that was something completely different. Oh, okay. And then you know, like He Man had was this with other th- yeah yeah. So I learned a lot and just like listening to it and watching it and stuff. And I thought it was really interesting because you got a lot of like background information of like how it came about and like I thought it was really cool to hear like their fear of um because when when they created He Man. Um, one of their big audiences that they weren't trying to target to became little girls. And so they had to create a female version. And then, like, they were worried that boys wouldn't want to play with them anymore because now girls are playing with them yeah. and stuff like that. So that was very interesting to yeah, hear. Yeah, it's really good. You get a lot of the background politics. They've mm-hmm. got interviews from the people that actually worked on it. and Created. Uh, in some cases, the CEOs of those companies. Right. Uh, and... And you see uh, some behind-the-scenes pictures mm-hmm. of stuff. There's some really cool behind-the-scenes stuff in the Star Wars one. Uh, and you really get a sense for how these things came about. And even if you're not a fan of the toys, uh, mm-hmm. like Courtney's not a, a huge fan of toys or anything like that. And she still found it uh, really interesting. I think that you would probably still think it's really good. So, again, I would highly recommend that. Uh, the next one I might watch, they've got a Transformers episode in Season 2. That Ward said was really, really good, and I'm I'm a fan of Transformers, so I think I'm going to check that one out next. But oh, not the Hello Kitty one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch. <laughs> I know you'll watch it. <laughs> I'm going to watch all of it. I know you will. <laughs> They've also got an episode on Lego, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I I think that one. Will yeah, be really Lego's good. got a really interesting backstory. I, I think I've already watched a documentary about that before. Mm. But uh, anyway, definitely go check those out. Uh, but Courtney, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. You have brought many expertise to, to our show this week. Yes, I guess I have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we do want to say thank you to Taylor Poole for writing our awesome intro music. You can find him at taylorpoolmusic.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-P-O-O-L-E music.com. Also, check out our friends at, at the CNC Power Hour. 
they stream video games on Saturday and Magic the Gathering on Sunday. So check them out on Twitch. That's right. And also, while you're on the interwebs, check out our website, CuzWe'reNerds.com, where you can find all of our episodes, a little bit of information about us, and it is also the best way to share the show. Yes, and you should be sharing. Please, please share the show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Cuz We're Nerds. Stay up to date with all the nerdy news and podcast drops by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also leave us comments and feedback at cuzwernerds at gmail.com. That's C-U-Z-W-E-R-E-N-E-R-D-S at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Next week, we pay tribute to one of the most influential people in the entertainment industry, Stan Lee. Where did he come from? How did he do it? And how will his legacy live on? We'll see you next week on Cuz We're Nerds. Stay nerdy.